Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the tennis podcast, but not only a normal tennis podcast. This, Catherine Whitaker, is the first of the Statoil Masters Tennis Royal Albert Hall specials. Are you ready? Yeah, just when you thought the tennis podcast couldn't get bigger or better, well, we're trying. We're trying. We're ready. And we are here to talk about tennis. We are here to look forward to the Statoil Masters Tennis, which begins tomorrow and brings together some of the greatest tennis players of all time, including John McEnroe, Pat Cash, Andy Roddick here for the very first time. Tim Hemman will be back and many more in the supporting cast as well. The matches get underway at 1.30 tomorrow. This tournament, though, Catherine, has been going now for 18 years, or this is the 18th edition of this tournament it began in 1997 where were you in 1997 it was the year i started secondary school this is all just a big ruse to get us revealing our ages isn't it um it was the year i started secondary school happy happy memories how old are you i would have been i was 11 i turned 11 in 1997 i see and uh, and and what we're going to do in this edition of the Tennis Podcast is, is ask you where you were in 1997 in December and who were your favourite tennis players and what was going on in the world at that particular time. We're going to reveal it all here on the Tennis Podcast while building up to the matches here as they build the tennis court. They actually completely build a tennis court from scratch in 24 hours inside the Royal Albert Hall and it's halfway underway, isn't it, Catherine? Yeah, they should sell tickets to watch the build on on the day before the tournament actually starts because it's it's really something you know we we walked past an entrance to the the court earlier and we sort of ended up standing there for ages watching 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 the thing go up it's it's miraculous if i i think on the um youtube channel for the event there's a time lapse video of the court going in and if you have a chance to catch it it's it's quite something yeah my advice would be to watch that and not actually sit courtside for probably 16 hours while it goes up in person although then you would get to look up into the the rafters of this extraordinary place and uh, and it is quite a sight isn't it and do check the Statoil Masters Tennis Twitter feed to uh, see some pictures of that 
Yeah, you've, you've been tweeting away today, haven't you? I've been very active. We're not alone in this edition of the Tennis Podcast. We've got another member of our team here, Mr. David Levy, who is not only going to be part of our team looking after the tennis players over the course of the next uh, few days, but also ball boy for our challenge match. You ready, David Levy? That I'm, I'm ready. This is the real highlight of the week. I mean, you listed some illustrious players who are going to be gracing the court this week, but you were very modest and didn't talk about the big match of the of the week, Whitaker against Law. Um, it all ends here, the final showdown. <laughs> However, it's going to be badged. I've heard that ticket sales are are in the dozens, um, but no, I'm very much looking forward to seeing you two on court. Uh, and I'd like the listeners to know about the trash talk that was happening while we had lunch today. It was unbelievable. I will leave the details out because we don't have time to go over. Oh, I'll fill them in. Okay. Uh, yeah, basically, Catherine doesn't realise what she's in for this week because not only am I six feet seven inches tall, if you're in uh, a European country that is not Great Britain, that's two metres tall, I can hit the ball very, very hard, Catherine. I don't know where it's going, but it goes fast. Yeah, I've been trying to... Spe- the, th- the thing is with this challenge match is neither of us have any clue what to expect um we have no idea what standard we are oh i've been looking into your uh, to your past and your history with uh, through your brother and various other people who played against you so i'm already one up on you there well the thing my, my spec my best speculation is i think you david law are going to be uh, unorthodox but very effective whereas i am sort of quite orthodox and coached but rather ineffective <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a psychological damage done for me early on as we uh, approach the challenge match, which I think is going to happen on Saturday morning, isn't it, Catherine? We're going to have a daily tennis podcast leading through this tournament, updating you on the scores, the results, the behind the scenes. We're going to have special guests from inside the locker room, some of the great champions of this tennis tournament. I might get a couple of tips as well on the way. Is that not sort of some kind? Is is it? Can we can we lay down some rules against tips? Hang on, we've been working on that. You've been working on the tennis tour twenty years. If I think, I I think if if getting tips from tennis players was going to help, the the time for that has passed. No, well, I'm I'm ready as it is, but uh, you know you can't be too careful. Now, what was happening in 1997? The reason we ask is because this tournament was born in 1997. December thereof and the great big feature of that year was the first match between Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe since their 1981 Wimbledon final clash in which John McEnroe famously won and the rematch here at the Royal Albert Hall 16 years on was won by John McEnroe and it was run won 2663107 where were you in December 1997. Do you remember that match, Catherine Whitaker? Because I do. Am I allowed to answer honestly? Because <laughs> the answer is no. You were, uh, too, you were too young to, to really, you know, read the paper? and. Too, too young to... I ha- in, in all honesty, it was before I became an enormous tennis fan. Tennis was very much in my life via my parents and my brother. But it was it, all about the Spice Girls. It, it was, there was no room in my life outside, outside of the Spice Actually, no, once I went to secondary school, suddenly at primary school, liking the Spice Girls was okay. Once you went to secondary school, you had to pretend that you'd never liked the Spice Girls and you were, you were above that. It was all about, I don't know, the Backstreet Boys once you got to secondary school, so... Now, that was the only edition of this tournament that I was not present at. I've worked in every other edition of the tournament since then. But what I do remember speaking to the press officer at the time about that event, and he said that people were 
queuing around the the corridors here to try to get into the press conference which starred John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg because they hadn't been seen in this country for 16 years. If you can just imagine the expectation, the level of interest that those two were creating, it was enormous. The, they were sold out within hours for that for that match. And I remember being in uh, in Cornwall, David Levy. I was in Cornwall studying journalism. And back in those days, you know, you barely had a telephone in a village, let alone in your house, let alone a mobile, let alone a smartphone. So when I was studying this at uh, Cornwall College, this this course, I couldn't just pop on my sort of iPlayer and watch this match on my iPad the way that you people do these days. Uh, and, and you would be able to do so on ITV4. In fact, uh, from Friday is the, the live coverage of this tournament. If you'd like to, to follow it there, there are tickets available as well, of course. So bear that in mind if you want to come and watch in person. I actually managed to persuade my course director to set the college video recorder to record that match between Borg and McEnroe. And I watched it two weeks later. And that was the moment I thought, I've got to work at that tennis tournament. I've got to go and see these guys in person. It was unbelievable. And it was the first time I ever got to see Mansour Barami. I'd never laid eyes on the guy before. This guy with the, the handlebar moustache. He was hurdling the net and playing rallies, sitting on a chair and serving with eight balls in his left hand. It was unbelievable. And here I am working at, at the tournament. That is incredible commitment, I have to say. You uh, you definitely earned the right to come and, and work at this tournament. I think actually, uh, and we said this earlier, is that the real point about that is that it makes you realise how lucky we are that pretty much any tennis match now you can live stream, you can get on a website and watch, will be on one of the various broadcast outlets. And, and yet not everyone went to the, uh, the extent that you did to keep up with tennis or even Legends tennis back then. Um, but we really are very lucky that we can watch pretty much any tennis match at any time from anywhere in the world. And, um, and that's a really good thing. And where were you in 1997 in December? I was 14. I was uh, at school. I was a big fan of tennis. Pete Sampras was my hero. Uh, I never understood why people found him boring because if I could serve four aces in a game and get it done in under a minute, I'd be very happy and sat down at the chair. Which you can. Yes, of course I can. Um, and which you've taught me how to do in advance of our match on Saturday. Don't tell Catherine that. Correct. The secret training sessions have been very successful. Um, so, yeah, I was a big Sampras fan. I was a big Blur fan, if we're talking about music. Uh, and I was a slightly awkward teenager at 14. Yeah, I was a big tennis fan. Big tennis fan. Now, what was going on in the world in 1997 in December? Top five at the box office. Dear, oh dear, what was the world thinking? Number one was Flubber. Do you ever remember watching Flubber at the cinema? No. I think I have seen the movie, but... You own it, don't you? Not, not at the cinema. Okay, number two, uh, Alien Resurrection. Number three, The Rainmaker. Number four, Anastasia. Number five, The Jackal. I just about remember number five. Was I living in some sort of cave? I mean, those five films are not going to go down as, you know, in the top ten of all time, are they? It's a, a poor reflection on the uh, good people of the UK. You should be disgusted, world. What are they thinking, Catherine? It's because it was just a month before Titanic came out, so the world was preparing. All the other filmmakers thought there's just, there's just no point in, uh, in us releasing any films now because all that's happening is cinema goers are waiting for the big event. And, and some waited with you know, nearly as much anticipation as you. How many times did you go and see Titanic in the cinema? I went three times. Dear, oh dear, she's going a really f cracking shade of crimson here. I went three times, and for a brief 
and regrettable period referred to myself as a titaniac. <laughs> there you have it. My most embarrassing secret is out there in the world. <laughs> I've just got to let that hang in the air, really. A titaniac. This is something I did not know existed until 20 seconds ago. So it can only go one way, and that's downhill or uphill, depending on how you view better. And that is the top five in the charts at the time on the 6th of December, 1997. Number one was Perfect Day by various artists. Now, that was a good shoot. Lou Reed was uh, in charge of that one. I seem to remember the video going on and on and on <laughs> and on. Indeed. Uh, Boy's Own, so another personal favourite of yours, Catherine. Baby, Can I Hold You was uh, number two. Good, good tune, that. Good tune. Can't, can't knock that. Personal favourite of mine, Barbie Girl by Aqua. Uh, Wind Beneath My Wings by Stephen Houghton was there as well. Torn by Natalie Umbrulia. I uh, vaguely know. I very much remember being a big Natalie Umbrulia fan. I, I went to see her in concert. I bought Torn. Yeah, of the five on that list, that's definitely my favourite. And number 10 at that time was uh, uh, Candle in the Wind, the uh, the song that was reprised by Elton John in uh, the aftermath of the death of Princess Diana, which uh, was really the new story of that year, wasn't it? It was the new story of that year. I remember, um, to, to sort of slightly, um, coarsely link uh, tennis into uh, Princess Diana's death that year, I remember Grogozetsky's US Open final happening was it the day after or certainly in the days after um, that huge um, world event and I remember him wearing was it some kind of a ribbon um, memorial ribbon on his shirt during that US Open final and it was very much I'm sure Greg didn't uh, didn't begrudge it but that event of a British man reaching a Grand Slam final was very much overshadowed by but I mean pretty much everything else that was happening in the world at the time was just overshadowed by that all-consuming news story. No, unquestionably so. Now, the top five men's and women's players in the world at that time, number one, the top player was Pete Sampras, number two, Pat Rafter, number three, Michael Chang, number Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Four, Jonas Bjorkman, and number five, Yevgeny Kafelnikov. We know that David Levy was a Pete Sampras fan, and I have to say I'd include myself in that group as well. I was a bit of a Pete Sampras fan. Who was your, who's your favourite in that group? Uh, I was a Rafter fan, uh, very much a Pat Rafter fan, M- mostly, as we've mentioned, because my family were Rafter fans, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't quite independent-minded enough <laughs> at that age to, uh, to formulate my own preferences, as I did a few years later. Um, just, I, I did love watching Pat Rafter play. If anybody's going to, I mean, as extraordinary as Pete Sampras was, it you know, for a young person just getting into tennis and just realizing how absorbing and incredible it is as a sport, watching Pete Sampras serve four aces in a game probably isn't the thing that's going to inspire you to sit down. You and did watch. more than that, though. Come on. I, I'm using. Uh, I'm using our special guest Dave Levy's example there. I mean, yes, of course he did more than that, but um. Yeah, it was Pat Rafter for me. Indeed. Now, uh, just to give an insight into just how old uh, I'm becoming, David Levy, uh, and and how long John McEnroe has been around playing this event. He played that very first event in 1997. He's here again playing against Pat Cash on Friday night in an exhibition match, then Henri Leconte, sorry, Thursday night, then Henri Leconte on Friday night. And the the remarkable stat for me is that in 1997... Andy Roddick hadn't even turned pro yet, and he's making his debut here in the Masters Tennis, the Stator Masters Tennis, this week. Extraordinary, isn't it? It is extraordinary. It makes you realise just uh, how long John McEnroe has been playing entertaining and incredible tennis. That He was 38 then, and now we sit here in 2014, and he will still be one of the most entertaining players this week. He's, the, he's one of the players that people have paid their money to come and see. There's a real buzz when he plays. And uh, I worked at this tournament for the first time last year and it made me realise just how much he really, really wants to win. He, he is unbelievably competitive. Um, and you, you kind of would expect that of McEnroe because of his character and his record. But I really noticed that sort of being in and around the tournament and working at it. So I'm really looking forward to him playing uh, this week and just seeing just how much he really wants to win. And one of your jobs here, Dave, is to go to the players after they've just played a tennis match and try to get them to do their media commitments it's a slightly different approach when coming to John McEnroe after a match than it is to some of the others isn't it that's a very fair way of putting it it, it is yeah he's, he's a different sort of a character um, I think it's fair to say that if he's won he's in a different mood if he hasn't um, but yeah I have to say all the players here are really good uh, and very willing to do media because they realize um, I think you know, they're not playing for money and they're not playing for points, so they're slightly more relaxed. But yeah, it's slightly easier talking to others than, than John when he's lost. But it's a challenge. I like a challenge and it's all part of the fun of working here. Sure is now. The women's top five was Monte Nahingis was number one. Number two is Jana Novotna. 
goodness me. Uh, and of course, Hingis back then was only, I think she was only 16, and she just won Wimbledon. And that year, she won three of the four Grand Slam titles, Martina Hingis. Number three was Lindsay Davenport. Number four was Amanda Kurtzer. Hard to believe that she was number four in the world. And number five, Monica Seles. Do you remember much about the, uh, the women's game back then? What I remember vividly from that period of the women's game was I think it was just after Jennifer Capriati had her first big comeback to the women's tour. I think she dropped away again um, shortly afterwards and then came back to win the Grand Slams in the early noughties. But um, I had been a fan, a big fan of Jennifer Capriati first time around when she popped onto the scene as a 14-year-old. I had the plaits in my hair. Um, and then, so I remember following her comeback to the tour very vividly. So she's, although she doesn't feature in the top five of that year, she's probably my memory. But also looking at that list, um, it highlights how times have changed. I mean, the the days of a 16-year-old winning three Grand Slam titles in a year seem a heck of a long way away, don't they? Because that's just, that's um, just, you couldn't even contemplate that happening with the game as it stands at the moment and power being the feature that it is in the women's game now. Absolutely right. And also the, the physical stature, the idea that Martina Hingis and Amanda Kurtzer, two players who really aren't tall, don't have great wingspans, but were able to compete and be in the top five players in the world. Now, what are your memories from back then? Todd Woodbridge, the great doubles player Todd Woodbridge has been in touch with us on Twitter at Tennis Podcast. And he says that he remembers 1997 fondly. I wonder why. Maybe it's something to do with the fact that he got to the Wimbledon semi-finals. Catherine Whitaker beating Michael Chang 8-6 in the fifth set. And he also beat Pat Rafter and Nicholas Kiefer along the way. Cracking run, wasn't it, from Todd? Brilliant run, yeah. He, I mean, he should he should toot his horn about that. He, he, he was. He was replying to, to us on Tennis Podcast on Twitter. Yeah. Well, good on him for doing so, because that's, that's an incredibly impressive result. He wasn't just a doubles player. Yeah, well, he would tell you that very strongly, absolutely. If somebody calls Todd Woodbridge a, a doubles player, he gets a bit, well, he's not best pleased, let's put it that way. Emerald229 says, spending all night watching CFAX for updates on Rosetsky bjorkman the, in the US Open semifinals is that person's memory, and Hingis not winning the French Open. And as we've said, she won three Grand Slam tournaments in a year. Just imagine if she'd have managed to add the French Open to that list as well. I think she ended up losing to Eva Maioli, who, who won her only Grand Slam tournament that year. Uh, what else have we got? We have uh, Wimbledon Wessel remembers, or Wimbledon Westy rather, remembers the middle Sunday of Wimbledon, Henman against Harhouse. Do you remember that, Dave Levy? 14-12 in the fifth set. And it was middle Sunday. They opened the gates to catch up because of all the rain. And I reckon that has to be one of the all-time great atmospheres that the All England Club has ever seen. An epic win. That's the only word I can, I can think of. Yeah, an incredible win for Tim. I remember the atmosphere. I actually remember listening to it on the radio. Very specific memory of being with my family in the car on the Ring Road in Watford, listening to that on middle Sunday as the result came in. And yeah, a marathon win for Tim. And uh, yeah, he'd beaten Krychek in that tournament who's the, the defending champion. So a great win for him. Uh, and yeah, happy memories. Well, we'll hopefully be hearing from Tim Hemman on the Tennis Podcast this week. A daily edition coming out of the Royal Albert Hall from us and we'll have uh, guests throughout the week. Colin Fleming, the British Davis Cup doubles player, uh, has been in touch as well. He remembers being in the back garden, hitting against the wall and pretending to be Edberg or Agassiz. 
quite different heroes to have, aren't they? One servant volleying Swede, the other Las Vegas baseline showman. But um, I can just imagine Colin Fleming in the lycra and with the ponytail, can't you? Uh, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, briefly, I, 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 yes, I can imagine that. I did put that to him, and he, he seemed to think that that didn't happen. I don't believe a word of it. Uh, Rob T says he was in middle school in New York, and the obvious answer for tennis in 1997 was everything that Pete Sampras did, and he watched the lot. James Farrar said, My first trip to Wimbledon was 1997. The ladies' final, Hingis beating Novotna, is an awesome experience. Skip Schwartzman says, I see, I saw Venus Williams for the first time. And of course, that was the year that Venus Williams got to the US Open final, having never played the event before. And uh, she ended up losing to uh, Martina Hingis and Michael Stick's buttery smoothness on the middle Sunday remembers watching that as well. Mark Witchell says, age 10, I remember both Tim Hemman and Greg Rosetsky reached the Wimbledon quarterfinals in 1997. What a big deal that felt at the time. And Greg Rosetsky not only went on to reach the final of the US Open, Catherine Whitaker, he also won BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Sir Rusty the Great says, not to forget Leighton Hewitt. Leighton Hewitt in 1997, qualifying for the Australian Open as the youngest player ever. I do remember that. That was an unbelievable sight because he looked like a character out of the Beano. There can't be many other players who did that who are still playing on the tour, if any, at all. So that's an incredible uh, achievement for Leighton. Yeah, I remember him starting as a, a pretty fired up uh, young Aussie teenager. He's still pretty fired up, but no longer a teenager. But I, can you guys think of anyone else who, who were playing then who's still playing on the tour? No, I mean, that's, uh, that was something else. And I remember the year after was when he beat Andre Agassi in Adelaide at the start of the year and actually won the tournament in Adelaide as a, as a 16-year-old. So he was only 15 when he qualified for the Australian Open that year in 1997. Mark Mandel says Pat Rafter winning the US Open over so many high-ranked players and then repeating the feat a year later. Tweety Pie says... My 1997 memories are going to Wimbledon for the first time and watching Henman beat Krychek. It was brilliant. And finally, Timon Lensik says, Peter Korda beating Pete Sampras in the tiebreak of the fifth set at the US Open. Harhouse and Krychek both losing to Henman at Wimbledon as well. So plenty of happy memories from the tennis world in 1997. And it all finished here at the Royal Albert Hall with the first ever uh, Masters tournament and it was a, a cracking experience to, to witness but more importantly than any of that Catherine Whitaker, how were our football teams doing that year West Bromwich Albion who's your team Reading FC who's your, your team Dave the mighty Watford FC yeah okay right um, so let's see how they were getting on Reading were in the what, what is it the ch what is the championship now so it's one below the top league and they finished last finished last but if if you look at the results December was a, a rather glorious month which ended with a 2-1 a victory over West Brom at uh, I guess that would have been at Elm Park uh, it was pre-Medeski Stadium days when we were yeah, enough Basically. of that. Uh, that was Boxing Day. Uh, Boxing Day, uh, uh, that, that victory happened, and we'll, we'll send you more about that. Uh, West Bromwich Albion were in the, uh, the division below the one that they currently uh, celebrate their, their premiership status in, and uh, they finished 10th that year. And Watford, Watford were, were down in the doldrums, Dave Levy. What was going on? They were, but they were enjoying the doldrums because they won what was then the second division, so the third tier of English football. 
um, had a very successful season. And of course, it links to this week because Elton John was our chairman uh, and, and previous owner at that time. And of course, he's going to be here at the weekend for the charity event. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing him. Uh, Will this be your first meeting with Elton John? Uh, yes, that's that's correct. Oh, it's going to be a big moment. A, a Watford lifelong fan and another Watford lifelong fan together at last here at the Royal Albert Hall. Sir Elton John, who is going to be captaining Team Elton in the Myland World Team Tennis Smash Hits event on Sunday afternoon. And it is going to be live on ITV4. There are one or two tickets available. Not many, though. So go to Stathall Masters Tennis and have a look and see if you can get any tickets. He's going to be leading a team up against uh, Team Billy Jean, Billy Jean King leading a team of Tim Henman and Kim Kleisters. Uh, who else is on that team? Sabina Lazicki and Jamie Murray. And on Team Elton is Andy Roddick, John McEnroe. Uh, who else we got? Heather Watson, of course. And Martina Hingis. And Martina Hingis. So it's an all-star cast uh, at the weekend on Sunday afternoon. But before all of that, the event gets underway, the Stathall Masters Tennis, tomorrow afternoon, doesn't it? And we have got Tim Henman on the order of play. You excited, Catherine? They're building the stadium. They're building the stadium next door as we talk. I am always excited about this event every year I come back. I, if, if anything, my excitement grows, David. I can't wait. Excellent news. Excellent news. Well, it all starts tomorrow afternoon, so we'll be back with more. We'll have special guests throughout the week. Uh, thank you for listening to us. Do keep across uh, at Champions Tennis on Twitter, at Masters t underscore Tennis, and, of course, at Tennis Podcast. Let us know any thoughts you have, questions you have, and we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you.